Welcome to Steps, a podcast celebrating people and their stories. Far too often, we don't give people the opportunity to share their journey, where they've come from, what they've overcome, and the amazing things that have happened in their lives. That's what we're going to do on Steps. We'll have real conversations with real people to understand how they've gotten to this place in time. Confucius said, the journey of 1,000 miles starts with a single step. So, let's start this journey. Today's guest on Steps is Jeremy Ruscha, better known as DJ Ruscha. Jeremy's a DJ, music producer, and an all-around dope human being. In our conversation, we explore what his catalyst was for getting into DJing, the journey that took him to the West Coast, and the steps that he took that led him to DJing on some of the biggest stages in the entire world. Without spoiling too much of his story, you're going to want to tune in to hear about it, how his paths crossed with Madonna. It's actually pretty awesome. Jeremy shares a lot of his life, and I'm grateful to be able to be a microphone to help him share it. Now, let's get into the conversation with DJ Ruscha. Well, hello, my friend. How the heck are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, I feel like it's been a long time coming. I, it has been. I mean, and... I'm going to, I got a question that I asked, but like, it's been a long time coming because you actually, the intro music that everybody just listened to, you created. And I, I like, I absolutely love the fact that like now it's come full circle and we've got you back on here. So, um, and we'll talk, we can talk about that too, but what everybody really wants to know. And it's the first question I ask is where in the world is Jeremy Ruscha right now? I am actually at home. I just, I don't even, haven't even been home for 24 hours yet. I've been uh, on and off the road for five weeks, five different trips and uh, been on the road more than I've been at home. But now I'm at home, got to sleep in my own bed last night. And uh, for everybody who travels, they know, uh, even if I'm in a nice hotel and it's a nice bed, but sleeping in your own bed is always feels good. There is nothing like the feeling of just being at home. And even if like, even if you're getting like a couple hours of sleep or you get in late, it's just like you melt in. It's the familiarity and the comfort comfort for sure. Absolutely. Like you have your room the way you want it, whatever sounds you need, whatever curtains you need. It's the light that you want in or don't want in. Like, yeah. yeah what, do you have, do you have like a sleep like routine or like, I mean, are you blackout curtains and noise machine and what's what, like, what's that look like? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I don't necessarily have a routine, but I do like the room to be as dark as possible. Um, we have an air filter fan that puts out a little bit of noise, so that's nice. And when I'm on the road, I will have a like a rain sound on my phone, just so I don't hear people running up and down the hallway. And uh, I put this on my Insta stories before, but a travel hack that it's not mine. I learned it somewhere else. But if your curtains don't close all the way. You grab the pant hanger from the closet that has the clips on it, yep. and then you clip the curtain close, and it has saved me many a times. I, it's funny that you say that, and you mentioned because I was going to talk about that. That's one of those, and I picked it up from you because yeah. you put it out there, and I, like I distinctly remember, and like now it's a like it's a no brainer. And actually, when we were traveling, uh, bringing the family down from Portland down to here to Arizona, like I would every time we would go, like we were at a hotel or something, I'd grab it and. Corey's like, what? I'm like, what are you doing? Just trust me. <laughs> it's, the, it's the little travel hacks. It's those little things you pick up after years of traveling that make a huge difference. Are you, uh, are you like an eye mask person? Do you have to do that? I don't have to have an eye mask. I'll bring one with me because sometimes if the room is really dark and like the smoke detector, red beaming light now becomes 
as bright as the sun for some yeah. reason. Like I'm like, okay. And usually by the time I wake up, the mask is like on the floor or in the middle of the bed somewhere, but sometimes I need it to fall asleep. Just depends on uh, the lighting of the room. Oh, I get that. Yeah. It's the complete and total darkness. And it's like, uh, it's like the like there's just this light that's just beaming right at you. Yeah, and it might as well be the sun shining in there because that's how <laughs> what, bright it is. Yeah, it matter, yeah. Somebody's got a little laser poker poking it yeah, in your exactly. eye. Exactly. Yeah, it's like who who decided that was a good idea? I, that's a very good question. So anybody that is listening that has ties into the smoke detector space, there's got to be a better way for people to understand that that thing's working. I also my aunt calls them adult stickers, so I have. They're like tinted little tiny stickers. They're circles. They come in different sizes. So if you have something in your house that like our um, air filter fan has a little LED light on the top of it. And again, when the room is super dark, that thing's like the sun. I have a little tiny tinted sticker I stick on top of it and it makes it perfect. So another another hack for everybody. You're welcome. I mean, now we're up to two. I'm curious to see how many we're going to get here. Everybody came here for the DJ, but I got travel hacks for you. I mean, well, but anybody that's lucky enough to know you know that you're knows that you're more than just a DJ. But we we will definitely touch on some of that stuff. So, like the travel that you just got done with, was that all work related? It was a mix of work and fun. Like it was it was work and fun. Um, saw some family. Went to New York. My wife had never been in New York before. We've been trying to go for years and. Uh, we had an opportunity. I was like, let's just go. I know it's the middle of the summer. It's going to be hot, but yeah. you just never know if you'll have that opportunity again. So we got to go to New York for a few days then a few AVP events. And then uh, I got to cap it off being in Hawaii. My wife was working because she ah. coaches volleyball and I got to go and hang out by the pool and I would go to a volleyball match and then have no responsibilities the rest of the day. It was, it felt weird. I didn't know. It took me a couple of days to get used to it. I didn't know what to do. I can only imagine. I mean, again, and obviously just by virtue of, you know, your day-to-day job, right? Like you travel and you're used to that stuff and yeah, that, that had to have been pretty cool. And if I don't, if I recall correctly, did they, didn't they win? They did. So my wife, uh, she coaches club volleyball, but also coaches in high school. She's the head JV coach, but assistant on the varsity and the varsity was in Hawaii for a tournament and uh, they won. They only lost one match the whole tournament and uh, came away with a win. First time winning that tournament, I believe. Since the new, since the new coaching staff, the last, you know, four or five years, I don't know how many years. Right on you. Give them a shout out. What, what school is it? Miracosa high school out here in uh, Manhattan beach, California. I love it. Congrats to to the team and to your wife and the family. Like, I mean, again, it's, and to do it in Hawaii, it's probably a pretty, pretty cool feeling. Yeah. It, um, I mean, winning always helps, right? It's their first tournament of the year, new team and stuff like that. But obviously winning is fun. You know, as Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, if you win, it's fun. And, uh, they got it. They got a really good team. They, uh, they're going to be good. Oh, that's awesome. Like it's fun. Like good volleyball is just fun to watch. And, you know, it, it's interesting. Cause I want to like, I know that you mentioned AVP, you mentioned all these things, but like, I mean, you didn't, (laughs) that's, I'm sure that's not what you set out to do whenever you like, you know, as a kid and everything. And I'd, I'd like to, if we can kind of zoom out and, rewind a little bit and figure out like kind of where it all started because before you were dj ruche you know dj of the la lakers and the avp you were jeremy ruche and still are and yeah. you still are but like like where did it start uh well i grew up in virginia right outside washington dc and um i was not a great student i wasn't a disruptive student mm-hmm. i just uh, i think i have a thing with authority and i never understood why if you had me for eight hours a day in school, 
while you got me for another four hours afterwards doing homework and stuff. So my rebellious way to do it is not do my homework. I don't recommend that because your grades don't turn out that well. Um, but I was very confused. I did really well in the classes that actually kept my attention. But if it was a class I had was bored in, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't the best student. Uh, just, uh, my teachers all loved me. All the teachers loved me. I wasn't disruptive. I just was not great at, uh, the school stuff. What were the classes that had your attention? I was a big fan of like history and like sociology and psychology, um, which probably goes into what I do for a living now. Um, but those things all intrigue me, but like math or even like art stuff, I'm not, not very well in the arts as far as like drawing something, painting something. My brain doesn't see that kind of thing. Like my handwriting is terrible. Uh, Thankfully, we have computers and text messages now. I don't have to write very much anymore. Yeah. And also, too, like, why did we learn cursive? Do we need cursive now? I took classes of cursive (laughs) in school, and the only thing I write in cursive is my signature, and that's two letters. Yeah, I don't. uh, So that seemed like a waste of time to me now, but, uh, you know, that's water under the bridge, I guess. Well, yeah, that, that's not, this is not a public service announcement not to do well in school and all that stuff, but I agree yeah. with you because here's the funny thing is, right? Like my daughter just started kindergarten, right? And yeah. she's got homework, which is totally different thing. But like she brings home this handwriting stuff and everything and it's here we got and we write our letters the kindergarten way and it's capital and then lowercase and you to do the A, you go from two o'clock on the clock to two o'clock and make a straight line. And I'm just like, and my wife and I are like, <sighs> I mean, I write in capitals most of the time and I do like, so it's just, it's fascinating to me from a school and what you learn, right? I think it's part of the process of learning and teaching totally. and being, but like, I don't retain anything that I've learned. And that's not a knock on my teachers or anything, but like, no, so it's fascinating. The TV show, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Uh, the answer is no, I'm not smart. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I watched that show once or twice and realized that it was depressing, so I'm not going to watch it anymore. Um, but yeah, I think uh, not doing great in school, not developing the study habits that I should have hurt when I like got into my own business and stuff like that. There are a lot of lessons I learned along the way and kind of learned the hard way because of that because I didn't have those things to fall back on. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely not a uh, who cares about school PSA. There are definitely some benefits to it. But like I said, if you had me for eight hours a day in the school – why do you get me for another four when I go home? I was very confused about that. Even at a young age, I was like, this sounds stupid to me. This is not, yeah, it, does, it sounds a little unreal. So with like, yeah. when, when you weren't in the extra four hours a day, like what were you doing or what kind of things, for, like what was your childhood made up of? Yeah, I, uh, I was in the sports. I played soccer was the sport I played mostly growing up. Loved yeah. it. Um, I uh, was still am height challenge. So I uh, like, loved basketball but I didn't start playing till I was in eighth grade. So all my friends were far advanced before I was. So I tried out for my high school freshman team and made to the last cut. And I've always thought about this, like as a coach where I was in the meeting, the coach was asking me what I need to do better. I don't remember what my answer was, but he said like, Oh, you need to be better at defense and like, okay, fine. But that was all he told me. Like, no, like how do I be better at defense and things like that? Uh, I was very confused by that. And then, realized at a young age that these athletes today, so many things have to go right for them to make it to the pros, Mm -hmm. right? They're athletes that are probably better physically, 
you know, not saying there's a ton of athletes better than LeBron, but let's say there's one, but they didn't have the same path that he did, yep. had a terrible coach, had whatever reasons, and they don't make it. So, so many things have to go the right way. And, uh, and then for me, so many things had to go the right way for me to become a DJ because that was not, uh, that was not in my life plan at all whatsoever. Had no idea, had no idea it would be a thing. Didn't know DJing sports was a thing. Right. Um, I fell into it, fortunately. And a buddy of mine who I grew up with in Virginia was a DJ and asked me to help him with a gig. And by helping with the gig, that meant I went with him to help set up the equipment. You know, we were carrying, we weren't carrying records, just carrying CDs, but big CD cases at that time. And uh, I didn't know anybody that was a full-time DJ, but I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is something I'll always do on top of whatever other job I have. But then it turned into a profession and here we are. What was, so what was it again? Like you're, I mean, and again, for those that don't know, like I've DJed as well. I, uh, my good couple of my good friends ran a DJ company in college and then I helped manage it a little bit. And, you know, so it is, it's something very, very unique, but like you're in Virginia and Hey, come along, get, come along with us. And let's, I want you to carry these CDs, but you, you said, this is something I'll always do. Like, what was it about that? You know, it was even, uh, it was the first gig that I helped him with. It was like an eighth grade dance. It wasn't like yeah. something super cool, right? It was an eighth grade dance. Uh, and I just loved the feel. And I did play one song that event. I, I helped him tear up. I stood there with him the whole time and helped him tear down. I didn't play one song. Um, but I loved music, always loved music. Was like, oh, wow, somebody can pay me to play music. That would be cool. And then probably the reaction of the crowd right like when you are in the zone of playing the right song one after the other after the other that like the crowd's like oh this is the greatest or when somebody says hey i've been trying to leave for two hours but you keep playing songs that like yeah. they're like oh i'll leave after the next song oh i'll leave after the next song and then all of a sudden it's two hours later right like that's a very cool feeling and there's i don't know if there's any other job you can have that would give you that type of feeling. Um, so like right away, I was like, oh, this is something I want to do. Again, mm -hmm. not realizing that it would be a career, just thought it would be something I did on the weekends because I didn't know I didn't know any DJ that, unless they were on the radio maybe, I didn't know any DJ that was that was their full-time job. Right. Well, and again, like your, your inroads into like an eighth grade dance, it's yeah. when like my inroads, was like it's very different. Like it, my first opportunity to go DJ with my buddies was in one of the, like the club at Toledo, right? In Toledo, Ohio. Right. And so like totally different, different atmosphere and environment. And it's the same feeling. Right. And again, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's your, when you're playing and I, again, I helped bring stuff in. I helped, Hey, Oh, can you help? And we were doing a mixture of CDs and we were using mini discs as well. Cause that was right when they were, you know, kind of becoming popular and you could record and you could re-record and all that stuff. Yeah. So, but to sit and watch how one person has the ability to control the mood and the vibe and energy in a whole place of a thousand people, 500, like it's, it's a powerful thing that I can, like I can, I relate to. I think it's a, I'm sure sports athletes get this too, right? When they're having a game that they can't be stopped and the crowd's just losing their mind or if you're a rock band on stage and, you know, 50,000 people are screaming back at you, like, I don't know if there's another way to duplicate that other than just doing it, right? There's no, you know, there's just no other way to do it. And it is a, for somebody that is, 
and I know this will surprise a lot of people, but I'm I'm a introverted person and I'm very quiet and I'm actually pretty shy and talking in public terrifies me. Uh, so doing the job that I do is, uh, is my family was very surprised by it, but, um, I, I don't, people, you get the question all the time. Oh, what else would you do besides DJing? I have no answer to that question. Right. I have no idea what else I would have done. And again, it's whether you're spiritual, whether you believe in God, like, I mean, again, this is the path. This is your journey, right? And this is exactly where you're meant to be, which is really, really cool. I want to kind of mentioned it really quickly, but like the, the introvertedness, the social anxiety. And again, you and I, I, I never would have gathered that. And well, as I've gotten to know you, yes, I understand that you like, but at first, right. Like we met, uh, it was Kansas city. It was ABCA final four. So that's also, again, another thing that you do. Um, and you were record, you guys had recorded a podcast. You were part of a podcast, net, the net live with, uh, Kevin Barnett, Rich Lamborn. And I distinctly remember you guys were standing outside. It was cold out in Kansas city. And I had met Barnett cause, uh, my previous job at, with Adidas and him with USA, he was there for a USA volleyball event. And then I just got started talking to you guys and like, but yet here's a guy that just says social anxiety, introvert. And yet, okay, you host a podcast, you're a DJ, you do like all of this stuff, like how, and I'm sure many people have moments of that. Like how, like, how did you get to the point where that, this was something that you were comfortable doing? I'm still not hundred percent sure I'm comfortable with it, to be honest with you. Um, I, I mean, repetition after all the years of doing stuff, right? Like, it's like you get more comfortable with it and sometimes you got to fake your way through it. There have been events where before the event has started, I am terrified of like, man, do I know what I'm doing? Even though I've done it a million times before. And that's what you tell yourself. You're like, you've done this before you mm -hmm. panicked before and you're going to be just fine. And you're going to go in there. And if they don't like you, they don't like you. You do what you think is right. And you go from there. Um, I, Speaking of that podcast, there's a few moments in my life I have been tricked into things that I never thought I would do. That podcast was one of them. So <laughs> Reed Pretty, Danny Kinda, I can't think is what his actual last name is, and Kevin Barnett started the Net Live. Okay. And then partway through it, they brought in Chris Geeter McGee, who was the announcer for the AVP. And then Reed and Kevin were talking about they wanted the music aspect. So about a year into it, they asked me if they asked Geeter if they thought I would be interested in. They were like, hey, can you just add some music element to the podcast, like live sound effects, whatever. Yeah. I was like, sure, sure, I can do that. And then every once in a while, they handed me a microphone and I would make fun of somebody and then I would hand the mic back to whatever. Like I had no interview skills at all whatsoever. And then Reed was playing internationally and then Geeter. I don't know what job he got, but he was not there all the time. So then it was just Kevin and myself. And I was like, well, I can't just let Kevin carry the whole show by himself. So I will chime in from time to time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I find myself, I'm doing interviews. I'm talking to Karch. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, I thought I was the music person. Like, how am I all of a sudden? Then I became literally became a co-host of that show and did it for 10 years. And uh, that's, a, that's a skill being able to have a conversation with somebody that you don't know that well yeah. or somebody that like you do know really well that doesn't know you, but to be able to keep the conversation going. Um, so I learned that obviously being around Kevin, being around Geeter. And, uh, but I always tell them that they tricked me into hosting that show. Hey, come do the music. Okay. Okay, cool. Now you're going to host like for 10 years. Yeah. For 10 years. Yeah, for 10 years. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely got better as the years went on, but uh, there was one time that I don't know. 
Kevin had to deliver. We always did at his house. He had to deliver at his house. And like he gets up from the podcast and then it's just me. So for 30 seconds, I'm in a full panic. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, who, what am I going to talk about? Like, were you, was it in the middle of an interview or was it just like, no, Kevin and I were talking and then someone (laughs) knocked on his door and he got up and walked away. So then all of a sudden the podcast is just me. I'm sure it was out of the 30 seconds. Kevin was gone. I'm pretty sure probably 20 of it was silence. And uh, me just like, I don't know what to talk about. Like, yeah. Thanks for the heads up, bro. Just got up and left. <laughs> cool, Kevin. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, buddy. I mean, what, you, you got a got a woodworking delivery that just showed yeah, up? Yeah, exactly. That's probably exactly what it was. Some type of uh, woodworking Some router or some, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I got tricked into that, but uh, that actually, I learned so much from that podcast because Kevin and Reed came from the indoor side, and then Lamborn would, you know, co-host every now and then. Um, I got to know him better, but I got to know so much more about the indoor side of volleyball um, that I never would have learned if I hadn't been on that podcast. Like even traveling to see indoor matches and all that stuff. Like I just, I've always loved the sport, whether it was beach or indoor, but being on that show opened a bunch of doors that I got to meet in, you know, indoor players, Lamborn and I Mm -hmm. became really good friends and, uh, that just never would have happened without that. I was AVP. I was just the beach, a beach volleyball DJ. And I knew the national team, but I didn't know the sport of indoor. So I felt like I was a fan on that show. So whenever I got stuck, I would just ask Kevin or Lamborn or somebody a question about indoor and just let them ramble on. Cause, but it was like a legit, like, I want to know this yeah. and maybe other people do too. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, again, I, you think about any conversation you're in, whether it be with Kevin and Rich or, you know, Karch or even just, you know, right. Like, if you're truly invested in kind of sitting and learning and being in it with somebody, you can ask a question. And if it ties to people's strengths and their forte, right, they're going to go ahead and they're going to talk about it. And they're going to talk about it passionately. And if you really are listening, you're going to glean information. So like, again, you have no, um, there, there's nowhere to go, but, you know, learn and understand yeah. more. My, uh, some of the greatest highlights of my DJ career are not DJing Karch. We had Karch on the show a few times and, he was still playing when I started DJing on the tour. So I, I know Karch. I'm not saying I know, know him, but like, I know Karch. If Karch sees me, he comes up and says hello, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but every time Karch is on, I would have one question and I would kind of like raise my hand to let Kevin know that I'm going to chime in. And I would chime in with one question and Karch was responds like, Oh, that's a great question. And then I felt like I should just walk away. Like that was the highlight. <laughs> my job. Like my one question I've been preparing for two weeks, Karch was like, oh, that's a great question. I was like, yeah, what, uh, what else do I need? That's it. Conversation over. Karch answered it. And uh, I, don't, I honestly don't know what my question was, to be honest with you. But I just remember him saying that it was a great question and I couldn't have been happier with myself. I mean, you get, you get a pat on the back from the goat, right? Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> that, it doesn't get any better than that. Like, I can only imagine, like, and again, I've, I've interacted with Karch by virtue of, you know, my previous role with Adidas. And, but like, yeah, to be in the presence of people that do something at a very high level and that are very well respected, it's like it's a really cool thing to do. And here's I, I was having uh, coffee this morning with a with a good friend, and he's a um, football coach. And we were talking, and randomly, some guy walks in and you know fist bump, and you know we're sitting talking, and he says to me, he goes, "Oh, that's so and so. He played for the Packers, plays for the Raiders, and and we got to talk like." The thing about people that do things at a very high level, like a car or anything like that, like I'm just honored to be 
in the space. And I, I use the word honor because it is. And like, I want to be around them to understand who they are, what they're up to. I'm not one that's like, hey, let's grab a phone. Let's take a selfie. Because again, they're humans just like you and I. And I totally. like, that's a, like, that to me ends up being a hard thing for people that when you see somebody that's famous out and about like, hey, can I get a picture? Like, why? Like, and again, you're around people all the time. And again, you and I are friends. I, I see your Instagram. You, like, you're not out there snapping selfies. You're just doing your thing and you're in the presence of just some really dope people. Yeah, it's tough because my career too, like if I took photos at some of the events that I DJ, my Instagram game and my popularity would be way bigger. Um, but also if I did that at those events, I wouldn't get to DJ those events anymore. So that's why I keep doing, DJing those events. But um, I remember my first few years on tour, the players knew Geeter and they would come to the booth where Geeter and I sat next to each other and they would hang out and talk to Geeter and not that they would ignore me, but like they didn't know me yet. Yeah. And all I did, I was just, I was quiet and I just absorbed all the information. And then once the players got to know me a little bit more and trusted me, then I could start asking questions of just like, you know, like they would sit there during a match and I'd be like, Oh, why did so-and-so do this? Or why? And they could break down the game, which was how I actually learned to play beach volleyball was just by sitting in the booth and having professional athletes tell me how to play the game, not on the sand doing mm -hmm. reps just by them talking to me. And it, I couldn't have got a better volleyball education from just talking to some of the top athletes in the world. One of my favorite stories is uh, it was like year two or three and Sinjin Smith was retired, but he was doing some sideline reporting. So we'd come into the booth and talk to Geeter every once in a while. And then Todd Rogers came into the booth and I had never spoken to Todd, not one mm -hmm. time. I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to speak to Todd. So I would just, <laughs> I would just stay in my lane. So like Sinjin start, he makes fun of me about something joking around and Geeter laughs and out of nowhere, Todd goes, Oh no, Jay Roche's got it. Don't worry about it. And I was all like, Oh my God, he knows my name. And I didn't say a word and like Sinjin and Todd leave and Geeter and I both look at each other. And I'm like, I, I didn't know that Todd knew my name. This is the greatest day of my life that Todd just defended me when Sinjin was making fun of me. And I had never spoken to him before. It was, it was a fantastic moment. And I've had a million moments like that on tour. And it's been, uh, those are the moments that I'll remember as opposed to what happened on the court actually. That's what, I mean, it's the experiences, man. And that's totally. what's so cool. And again, I even, I'll reflect like one of my favorite uh, experiences is with you is we, we did it twice, right? I, I was lucky enough to come out to LA for some photo shoots and stuff like that. And, it, you know, we're texting and you were just, uh, you DJed the night before, the first time I was down there, you DJed the night before you had a Lakers game and you, like you picked me up and we went down and we grabbed uh, some burritos. Uh, brothers, Bro is that what? Brothers. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we went and grabbed, we went and grabbed burritos and, you know, walk the strand and all that stuff. But like, that's like, that's what life's about, right? It's totally. the moments that it's the moments that we get to experience and it's the people that we get to experience it with that. Those are the things that I'll always remember that we'll always remember. Not, I heard something this morning. Um, oh, one of my friends, Kayla, uh, on her Instagram story, she's like, you aren't going to remember that email you didn't send. You aren't going to email, you aren't going to remember that, you know, that one push-up you didn't do, you, you will remember the time you spend with the people. You remember the moments and the experiences. Of course. I, I mean, and people ask me about my favorite moments on the tour. It's always something off the court, uh, right? At dinner, I got to have somebody. Or I do remember when players may have said certain things on the court to another player because 
that's entertaining to me. Yeah. Um, or, th- or threatening to fight each other. That was always fun. Um, but yeah, it was always the memories off the court and uh, even things that like the players don't remember that I remind them was like, oh, I remember this because it may not have been as big of a deal to them, but it was a big deal to me. And yeah, those are the things you always remember. 100%. And I think we kind of like brushed over it, right? Like we've gotten into some really cool stuff in AVP and all that. Like how the hell did you get from Virginia to California? Uh, it was a U-Haul and I got sick on day two and it was the worst trip of my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the guy that actually taught me how to DJ um, got into grad school at Loyola Marymount. Uh-huh. And we were just talking one day and he said, he's like, oh yeah, when you, I, if I remember the conversation correctly, he's like, oh yeah, if, you know, when you move, you always want to have like a roommate, somebody that you know. And I was like, well, I'll go. And that was the conversation. And six months later, I was in California. Wait. Yep. Hold on. Like, you're like, hey, pick me, I'll go and. Yeah. Pick me, coach, put me in the game. So I think I. I, I knew at a young age and I was 19 years old. I was, I turned 20 like a week or two later after moving to California. Okay. But I knew before that, um, I, and it's, it's not a rule obviously, but I feel like there's only like a handful of times in everybody's life where you can pick up your whole life and move. Sure. Right. For whatever reasons, like, but I was 19 years old about to turn 20. I wasn't in a career yet. I graduated high school not that I was floundering, but it's not like I didn't have anything that was keeping me in Virginia. Uh Um, My aunt and uncle used to live in Long Beach. So I had visited California when I was a young teenager. So I kind of had an idea of what California was like. And as naive as I was at the time, because I think I had like, I sold some stock that my family had got for me when I was a kid just to have a few thousand dollars in the bank. And that's what I came to California with. And uh, I had no plan when I got here. I didn't, it's not like I didn't have a job lined up. We didn't have an uh, apartment rented or anything. Just knew um, that we'd figure it out. And I always felt that how I convinced myself to do it was like, well, if I get there and it doesn't work out, I can always come back to Virginia. Because it's safety. not like, yeah. well, it was a safety net. And also, like, I enjoyed where I grew up. Like, some people, when they move, they're like, oh, I hate this place. I got to get out right. of here right away. And that's not how I felt about Virginia. I've, I was like, oh, I can come back if I need to, um, even though basically like six months later, most of my family now then dispersed from Virginia after I moved. I felt like I, I, I you were the glue. The I blazed the trail. Yeah, I was the glue. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be sure to tell my family that next time we're all together. Please do. Yeah. yeah. Be like, hey, I was talking to somebody. He said I was the glue for the family. So yeah, so you're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was. Yeah, I just. I, I knew then that, hey, this is an opportunity that's not going to come around very often. So let's just take it and see what happens. And, you know, came out to California. Uh, the buddy I moved out here with, like, obviously I knew him. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really know anybody else. And we just figured it out. He was going to school and working full time. And my first job I got was uh, I was a valet. I was parking cars for this uh, club in Los Angeles that didn't have a name on it. So it meant it was cool. Right. Like you had like had to know. Oh, no kidding. Um, And then um, through actually a connection of my roommate, I think they went to high school together because they were a few years older than me. The guy that taught me how to DJ that brought me to California was a few years older than me. A buddy of his was working at um, Maverick Records and 
reached out and like they needed interns. And so I went and interviewed for an internship and it was actually a paid internship. So I was like part-time at the record label and then doing the valet stuff at night. And that's how those were my first jobs in California when I moved out here. Oh, but again, it's, I don't want to overlook the fact that you literally picked up and moved. Right. And it's, you're right. There are moments or there are opportunities that kind of present themselves at certain points in time in our lives. Right. And by virtue of me coaching, we've, we've picked up and moved a lot and it's been, it's been pretty cool, but like these moments where it's just like, all right, let's do it. And it, it's the best moments are when you don't have family or dependents or anything that you have to, like, you can just go and you can do, and you can go out and hustle and figure out, you know, what life, what God's trying to, what path you're supposed to be on. So like, it's, I don't know, like, that's fascinating to me. And it's also inspiring. And like that, that took a lot of, a lot of gumption. Yeah. And there, don't get me wrong. There are definitely like moments where I was like, oh man, did I make the right decision? Um, should I go back? Should I stay here? Like, cause it's not like when I was working at the record label, that was when I really knew how much music was important to me in my life. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, when I moved to California, my buddy stopped DJing, but I, you know, was still trying to get some gigs here and there, but it was still like weekends, like a corporate gig or a wedding, just something on the weekends. Um, but working at the record label really let me know that like, oh, music is important to me. So whatever job I have, it would probably still involve music. Still at that point, didn't realize that DJing would be a thing mm-hmm. full time. Um, but it was like my first concert I ever went to, um, like as like an adult, like I went to one when I was a teenager, but like as an adult working at the record label where I have like, oh, I have the VIP pass because I'm some intern. Like, I don't know why I got a VIP pass, <laughs> but like I was sitting in the balcony as opposed to in the general admission. I was all like, oh yeah, this is, I, I like this. What concert um, was it? My very first concert I went to, I was 13 years old. I saw MC Hammer. Me oh, and my no mom went to see MC Hammer, yes. Um, but I think when I was working at Maverick Records, the first concert I went to with them might have been like, could have been like the Deftones or um, they had an artist named Jude who was kind of like a folk singer that I actually really liked. Um, but I remember a few shows like at the Palladium and then because you're working at a record label, other record labels, like I got to see Rage Against the Machine in like VIP status and... Yeah, I got to got to see a bunch of cool stuff, and I was like, "Yeah, I need to I need to be in the music world in some way, shape, or form." Yeah, that's and again, it goes back to the experiences we're talking about, right? Like you're you're experiencing these things, and then along the way, it's it's confirming you know what's going on in your head, right? Like, oh yes, this is the feeling that I want to have and be around and be a part of. And I mean, Maverick isn't like it's not like you're talking to super like no name label either. Yeah, I was fortunate. Like, there was Madonna's label. And yes, I did meet her. And I had been in her house before. Yes. Um, And it was a smaller, like, it was part of Warner Brothers Records. It was a smaller boutique label. It was the label they gave Madonna. But, like, they had The Prodigy. They had Alanis Morissette. Like, those were their big, big name artists. And uh, so getting to be a part of that, you don't realize at the time how cool it is, right? Until Mm -hmm. it's over. You're like, oh, that was was a cool moment in time. Um, Like, I don't people would have to look at it, but the video for the song music that Madonna did, like I was on set sitting like in her director's chair while she was acting. Cause at that time I was helping out her personal assistant. And even in that moment, I was like, Oh, there's a lot of people that would, uh, 
because like she has the paparazzi are following her around right and right. I'm now sitting in her director's chair while she's you know shooting this i'm like who am i some 20 20 year old kid that's sitting in the chair that on the back of it says madonna because it's her chair and i'm all like this is life life is trippy who who would have known that you know going from virginia to then southern california to then sitting in a chair that says madonna on it is it still trips me out a little bit i dude i can imagine like there and those are the moments that you that will you'll continue to hold on to it's like that's what's really neat about like the journey that we're on and so you're in music right and but if i'm not mistaken like you did some other you got involved with something else um because of the record label because i was going to ask where okay so yeah yeah, talk to me about talk to talk to us about that yeah so i mentioned getting tricked into things maybe it's a theme in my life so a friend of mine worked at the record label and he ran an improv group at a theater in santa monica and this was when i was still an intern and his his boss had two assistants so Another buddy of mine that worked at the record label was like under underneath the guy that ran the improv group. And he had just taken it over and he was like, Hey, I'm doing this like workshop improv thing at this theater. I would love for you guys to come just so there's like numbers in the audience, right? Like it's just so there's it looks like more people are interested. And we're like, Yeah, sure, we'll come support you, no big deal. So we get there, we're sitting in the theater. It's probably like maybe a fifty to hundred person theater. Okay. Um and he's on stage and he's talking and then all of a sudden he's like oh everybody on stage to like do some improv and i'm like well he's not talking to me because he knows that there's zero chance in hell i'm getting on that stage and talking in front of anybody like the thought of it right now like if you were inside of my body you could feel my heart my heart is racing right now just thinking about it so me and my buddy are sitting in the crowd and he's like everybody on stage i didn't even move i was like it wasn't even a thought or an option that I was getting on that stage. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, everybody. I was all like, Mm-mm, nope, I am not. So long story short, he got me on that stage and I was part of that improv group for at least three or four years. So much so where when he left, I took over the improv group and was in charge of the improv group. Yeah. I'm, sp- I'm speechless right now because again, I'm, I'm rewinding in our head, our conversation a little bit ago saying, you admitting to being an introvert and having you know some sort of social anxiety and all of that stuff. And like, I'm feeling it for you. How- yeah. My uh, literally my heart rate is, is racing right now. Just thinking about it. My, if I wish we could clip in like interviews from my family members, cause yeah. when they would come visit California, they're like, we're coming when you're doing an improv show. Cause we don't believe that you actually do this. And you're, we you're lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's no way that you're doing improv on stage in front of people. And I was like, I know it's terrifying. Don't. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I wasn't, I don't think I was good. Um, I was good at the physical, my people would laugh at me when I would do things like would try to hurt myself on stage. Uh, My buddy who actually fortunately knows me very well. One time without even looking at him, I turned and jumped midair, just assuming that he would catch me. And he did thankfully. And, but like, those are the things that I did. Like my, Acting, like I'm not, acting is not a thing that I ever had any desire to do. But I, you know, looking back on it, I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed the people I got to do improv with. And it did teach me a lot as far as like public speaking and how to carry on a conversation. Because if you've ever heard anything about improv, the cliche is it's always yes and. If somebody gives you information 
your response is always yes and to keep it moving. Because if you and I are talking mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, did you like improv? And my answer is no. That kind of ends the ends conversation. Yeah. Even if the answer is no, I'd be like, did I like it? Like, it was fun while it lasts. And then I'll go into an explanation of maybe why I didn't like it. But if you say no, that kind of ends the scene, ends the conversation. And that's similar in everyday life. So if you're talking to somebody you don't know before, and you're trying to spark a conversation with them, and they're just giving you one word answers, or it's all like a no, that conversation's going nowhere. So it did teach me better communication skills. Um, it didn't teach me how to control my heart rate. Cause like I said, just thinking about it, my heart rate is <laughs> up right now. Cause it's, it, it's terrifying being on stage in front of people, whether there were lines or not, but we had no lines. It was just setting up a scene and you just go from there. Like it's, it feels like a different life to be honest with you. It literally feels like that was a, another person besides me that was doing that. Well, and it, the skills that it gave you was really rapid. What I hear is again, it feels like a different life. And also I would imagine that from the DJ perspective, right? You're, you you still are isolated. You know, you've got your booth, you've got your protection and you're controlling, you're making everybody happy from up here, but like, it's still, everybody's at bay. Now here it is. I'm around. Yeah. 100%. And improv is very unsafe for Jeremy. Not a safe space because you can hear it when you're not funny. You can, you can tell like there's like, it is dead quiet in there. Yeah. Fortunately, I was around people who were really funny, and if I was not doing well, they could carry me and bring me along. So um, if I didn't like the people that I was doing the improv stuff with, it wouldn't have lasted very long, but I, I, I enjoyed being around them. And like they all knew that acting and like acting is what they all wanted to do, and that's not mm-hmm. what I wanted to do, but I was there to – I found myself like in a helpful role, like, hey, how can I help you be better and learn from them? Because we would have practice during the week before we would do shows and stuff. Um, so it was a very cool experience. I still, yeah, again, I wish we could splice in some of my family's commentary cause they would that just absolute shock that I did that. I, I mean, I'm shocked whenever you, when you shared that with me and it was just like, Oh wow. Okay. And then that's even before like I knew of kind of the anxiety and all this. I, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, so valet and cars. Yep. Record label intern. Yep. Improv group. Mm-hmm. Like what was, what's, what's next? Like, so the music industry, I don't know if you know, like when like Napster and streaming and all that stuff yeah. came along, hit the industry hard. And I had moved on from Rapper records to a different music company. And our parent company went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. But in the process of them trying to stay alive, they were basically using our company, not my company, but the company I worked for, their money to stay alive. And eventually when they ran through that industry, like my job was over, the company was over. And I was already DJing a lot more, like fairly consistently. And this was in 2002. And when the company went bankrupt and I knew I was going to have to look for another job, I was all like, "Ah, man, I really don't want to, I had no desire to be in a cubicle. Mm-hmm. Even though I was in the music industry and it was fun, like I was like, I need, I need to do something else. And the DJ stuff had kind of been ramping up for me. So I thought if I just put a little more effort into it, get the word out, because DJing is all word of mouth. Uh, yeah. it, it was then, right? Like it's, it still is now, but you can use Instagram and stuff. But then it's all word of mouth, who knows you, all that stuff. So I was like, let me put a little bit more effort into it and see if I can start doing it full time. And that was, I officially started 
my company in 2002, April of 2002. And then towards the beginning of 2003, I ran into a former coworker from the company that went bankrupt. Uh-huh. And she's like, Hey, what are you doing now? I was like, Oh, I'm DJing. She's like, Oh, I know somebody that needs a DJ for some volleyball thing. And in my mind, the volleyball thing was like somebody's backyard barbecue because I knew of the AVP. I was already going to events. I was friends with a couple of the players just randomly. Um, but it didn't even click that that's what it would be. Yeah. And uh, that was a Friday night. And then Monday morning, the AVP called me. In 2003. So you're talking, dude, you're like 19 years. Yes. Uh, now, I mean, all doing, of, from, from from the beginning. I, again, yeah. go ahead. If everybody's doing the math right, they could do find my age. But when I'm on the microphone at AVP events and I tell people I've been doing it for 19 years, that I started when I was 10, um, that's obviously a lie because I didn't move to California until I was 20. So everybody uh, everybody can do the math if they would like to do the math. Oh man! So, but that uh, like you said, word of mouth, right? And one thing that I'll like I'll draw the circle around right here is. It's all, it's word of mouth. And it's, I, I tell this whenever I talk to just about anybody, it's, man, it's not who, you know, it's who knows you and who's willing to speak, speak on your behalf. And 100%. that's like, that's a prime example, right? Like if you're a good human, you're doing really cool stuff and you're treating people the right way. And somebody's willing to speak on your behalf, doors get opened. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened here. 100%. I, it, you know, a lot of things, right, right place, right time. I've never, that, that bar I went to, I think I was going to see a show. I'd never been to that bar before and have never been there since. But the one time I went was when I ran into somebody that I knew Mm -hmm. didn't know they were going to be there. And they knew somebody that needed a DJ for the AVP. Um, so being the right place, right time obviously helps a lot too. And like you said, I I tell this to a bunch of young DJs coming up. It's like, you may know a lot of people, like you may know me, but that doesn't mean I know you. So it's who Mm -hmm. knows you and are willing to, like you said, open doors or just introduce you to somebody. Um, And I've been very fortunate with that in my career. I think that being a good person is never going to hurt you, right? Like Mm -hmm. you could be a good person and somebody may take advantage of you because you're a good person, sure. But I'd rather be a good person and that happen than be a total jerk. Now I've met DJs that are a bunch of a-holes and get, gigs that I would like, but because they're a-holes, somehow they end up getting it, but they're usually not around very long. Um, so yeah. I've been around long enough to see that cycle happen, right? So I don't get, I might get bummed that I didn't get the job, but I'm not bummed that if somebody's picking somebody over me because that person's either a jerk or because their rate's a lot lower than mine, um, then that's probably not the person I want to be DJing for anyways. Uh, so, but I've been very fortunate in my career with the people that I've worked with. I would say 99.9% of my clients are all mostly repeat clients and people that I would run through a brick wall for. So I've been fortunate in that way too. But I think that's the kind of person that I attract in my career as well. And, um, I tell all, all younger DJs coming up, um, if you, if you're a good person, you show up on time and you're, if you're a professional, you're going to attract other professionals mm-hmm. and it's easy like my i want people not to worry if you tell me i need to be at the gig at 7 a.m and we never speak again before 7 a.m you know without speaking to me that i'm going to be there at 7 a.m exactly when you wanted me to be there and i prided myself on that in my career and 
I 100% know that that has helped me get to where I am now. Yeah. And again, what you, that I hear from you is the, again, it's the integrity of, you know, do what you say you're going to do. And then again, be a kind human, be a good person along the way. And what's, what I find to be interesting, right. And as you're sharing, and obviously, I mean, you've been doing this a long time and we'll get into like how you got into NBA and other sports stuff, but like you mentioned, you talk to young DJs, you talk to all that, like that advice. I don't want to brush past it because again, like, it's powerful and profound and it doesn't matter if you're a DJ. It doesn't matter if you're in the corporate space. It does like how, like how did you come about to like that? That was something that you chose to live by or the advice that you tried to, you know, kind of share. I'm sure I had my, I'm sure I had great role models family wise growing up that showed me that. Um, I don't remember anyone like a piece of word of advice, uh, I don't remember like anything like that sticking out. My dad did say to me one time I was complaining about something. He's like, well, you don't always get to do what you want to do. And I was all like, I was still mad. But I was like, you're right. And I think I told him he was right, but I was still mad at the time. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, not everything, not, you don't get to do what you want to do all the time. Or maybe what I want to do is not what the group wants to do. And it's better if we do what the group wants to do. And that's also fine too. Um, I have anxiety if, I'm going to be late. So I hate being late. And even in California where sometimes you can't control the traffic, like we have a 15 minute window grace period in Los Angeles because of traffic. But even then I still, I hate being late. I hate being rushed. Mm -hmm. And I do pride myself on the client not having to worry about me. There's so many other things, especially in live sporting events that everybody else has to worry about. I want to be the last thing they have to worry about. And there have been times in my career that that, then the client starts to overlook me a little bit because they don't actually think about me that much because they don't have to. Right. But again, I'd rather that be the case than them feel like they're stressed whether I'm going to show up or not. Cause then they'll end up hiring somebody else. 100%. Like, if I, if I can make your job easier, that's my goal. Yeah. It's, it's that serve like the, the servant leader, the servant mentality, right? Like, I mean, I'm here to be of service. I'm going to make your, make sure that I do it to the best of my ability. And to your point, right? Like if they overlook you because you are the consistent thing, I mean, that's a, that's a good problem to have. And then at that point in time, if they're pivoting, like, look, there's a reason that they're pivoting. So you did like, but you've done, and it it even ties back to athletes that I've talked to and coach, right? Like if you do your best and you know that at the end of when it's all said and done, you gave your best on that given day. And again, it can be different every day, but you gave your best on that given day or for that job, you can still hang your head high and keep moving forward. Absolutely. And I live, or my career is something that is very subjective, right? There's yeah. no, this is, there's wrong answers for sure for my job. Like you could play the wrong song, but there's also 50 right songs, right? And there's a difference of, oh, I don't really like that song. I might not have played it. Okay. But does that song still fit for that moment? And if the answer is yes, then that, you know, if you, if you ask me to DJ gig for you and you don't tell me there's songs that you don't like, but I play a song you don't like, and you tell me, no problem at all. But there have been times where people are like, oh, don't play this. I'm like, why? They're like, oh, I don't like it. I was like, okay, tell me before the song is happening. Because right now in the moment, the song still, it's the right song. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it's just because you don't like it, but. So it's subjective. My job is very subjective and it's in the public eye. So everybody hears every single song and 
this is an exaggeration, but this has happened to me before where people are like, Hey, I loved 499 out of the 500 songs you played today. But that one song I just didn't, uh, I wasn't a fan of. And I'm all like, why, why tell me that? Like, I don't, I, that I don't understand. Like, I'm sorry that I played one song that you didn't like. And, um, also too, like maybe the client asked me to play that song. Maybe mm-hmm. the person paying the bills, like there's so many things that go on behind the scenes for, why I play what I do. It's not just straight. This is my favorite song of all time. And I'm just going to play what I want to hear all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially in the sports world, and I knew found this, I realized this very young too, like they're not there for me. My job is to add to the experience. Like people are going to come watch LeBron James at Lakers games, whether I'm there or not, whether right. any music has played or not. Right. So my ego is checked at the door because I know they're they're not there for me and I don't care. So I'm going to do what I can to make this experience for everybody who's here better. And I know I'm not going to please everybody, but Mm -hmm. if I do what I think is right, then I can live with that. I can live with the criticism. If somebody has criticism about something, it's like, well, that's fine. I felt like I did what the right thing was to do. And I went from there. And so is that because I'd imagine that's tough, right? And you've said, obviously, everything is subjective. So and you've mentioned other DJs like doing your best is that how you gauge whether you've done a good job or like like what are like how do you because at the end of the lakers game right they get the win lebron puts up 38 points 10 rebounds 10 assists all this stuff right lebron had a great game lakers had a great game but like how do you how do you get like how do you quantify that yeah if the lakers have a great game then i definitely did a great job if the lakers lose then i didn't do a good job that's uh (laughs) that's how i look at it um, that it's all, that's subjective too. Right. But you can tell the Lakers could be playing awesome and I could still not connect with the crowd. Right. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I think any gig I kind of, even if it's just one moment, right. Like not every event's going to be the event, but if there's one moment in each event where it's like, Ooh, I got the crowd here or like, this was a good moment or this was the right song for that moment. It just worked perfectly. Everything leading up to that moment worked out great. Um, so the way I judge it is if I feel like I always feel like I could do better, like, Ooh, this would have been good in that situation. But there are some times where you're holding on to a song because another situation might happen. Mm. But if that situation doesn't happen, you're like, Oh, well that song would have been perfect for this in the third quarter. But the way things are going, I might've needed it in the fourth quarter, but then I didn't. So you think about things like that as well, right? Um, but I've never, you're sure I've made mistakes in my career and I've learned from them. I'm like, oh, that was the wrong song at that moment. Um, I've cleared dance floors before too and then got people back. And uh, so that those aren't fun. But I think the way that I judge my career now is if I feel like I'm making the right decisions and I'm, making, I'm playing the song for a reason. And if that connects with everybody great and if it doesn't connect then i'll figure out i'll go back and be like why did why did why do i think that didn't connect and i'll try to learn from that but um you just have to trust your instincts at that point i've also been doing it so long that Mm -hmm. uh i worry sometimes like oh am i doing the same thing because i know this works so then trying to challenge yourself on not doing the same thing over and over again and that's where you are sometimes you're going to play a song like oh that didn't connect the way i thought it would okay. And then maybe I try it again in a different circumstance. And if it doesn't work, then it's like, okay, that's not the right song. Or it's like, oh, I need to do it 
when this X, Y, Z or was happening or it was this time of day or it was this quarter or I was going into the third set. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's hard when your entire job, like an athlete, right? Like fans will be like, Oh, LeBron, you suck. And like Lakers fans will say that. And I'm like, no, LeBron, I don't even care if he could not make a shot that entire game. He still doesn't suck. Correct. Right. But it's subjective. Like he's doing his whole game is in front of everybody and everybody's going to have an opinion about it. And that's the same with my job too. Everybody's going to have an opinion about it. And you hope that the people that hire you, especially now with my resume, like understand that I do know what I'm doing for the most part. I'm very open to suggestions. I'm always Mm -hmm. open to that. Um, And yeah, I I think just always being willing to learn and Mm -hmm. seeing other DJs too. Like I I go to other sporting events to see what they're doing to make sure that I'm not like, oh, I never thought about that before. Right. Right? Because if you've been doing something for 20 years, that always works. You don't necessarily think I need to change. But you're like, oh, I never thought about it. Let me do something like that as well, too. Um, so always being open to learning, I think, is how I grade being not successful, but still enjoying my craft. Because if I feel like I know everything, then that's as soon as I'm going to be a terrible DJ. Yeah, I mean, growth mindset, like that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. And what, in listening to you talk, and again, I've been... I, I never lay claim to ever being a good DJ, but here's my re- like my relation point here is I want people to understand that like DJing isn't just playing music. It's not, and particularly in the environments that you found yourself in, um, and because it's not as like it's not like hey press play and go like no like everything that I heard right everything that you do is calculated. It's okay. If I do this, then this is the outcome that I expect. And it, it's almost like you're a scientist, right? Like, and again, this is the, the, like you're doing these experiments and you're figuring out and you've got this hypothesis and you're putting it out there. And it's like, okay, if I do this, then based on this, I expect this. And it's, it's not just push and play and going. And like, man, if anybody's been at an event, right, they don't, to your point, they don't notice they don't always notice the good DJ, but they do notice the bad DJ. Definitely notice the bad DJ. Yep. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was one of those, but it's okay. Look, it's uh, I credit flashing back to the DJ that taught me how to DJ. Like when I was just helping him set up and tear down his equipment for like a full six months to a year, I just got to sit there and watch him DJ. And didn't realize that at that exact moment, but what you realize is that he's teaching me how to read the crowd, mm. right? Cause he's playing the songs and internally I'm like, Oh, he's playing the song because of this. Or he did like, because you can't, I can't teach you how to read a crowd. I can teach you the equipment. I can give you all the music. I can tell you what song to play when, and you're still not going to connect with the crowd the same way I would if I just gave you all of my music. Right. So reading the crowd is, the most difficult part of a DJ's job. And then now the way the DJ world is when I first started, if I played a song that the crowd didn't know, they'd be like, Oh, well the DJ's playing it. So it must be cool. Let me give it a chance. And then I would follow it up with a song that they knew. So I wouldn't hit them over the head with a bunch of stuff. They didn't know, but every once in a while I'm like, Ooh, this song back then I would get songs before it even got to radio. And I'd be like, in about a month, 
you're going to be requesting the song and it's going to yeah. be the peak song of the night. Um, where now if I play a song that people don't know, they're like, oh, this song's terrible. I'm like, well, I disagree. And then a month later, it'll be on the radio or yeah. the top streaming song or whatever. Um, so the DJ world has changed that way a little bit. So I keep that in mind sometimes with all of the uh, gigs I'm doing. And if you can hear the car being washed outside next to me, I apologize. I can change rooms. If, no, you're good. Oh, perfect. I can hear um, it. I can hear it. But again, here's a, this is a good it's, thing. I mean, this is real. This is real conversation, brother. I'm, I'm at home. This is not fake. That is for sure. Just right outside the wall, right there is someone getting a car wash, power wash. I hope it looks good afterwards. Maybe I'll I'm sure. Well, you can send me, send me a picture. We'll throw it on yeah. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we kind of glazed over, like brushed over. Like we fast forward to you, like dropping beats for LeBron and all that. But like, I want to know, and again, I know, I know, but like, I know people want to know how, like, how do you get in? Like, how, how, the hell how did that happen? You get the DJ for the Lakers. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I still don't have an answer. Somehow I've been DJing and no one's told me I can't DJ anymore. Um, I'll flash back to the very beginning. So obviously got to the AVP. Yeah. And then at that time, the sports DJ world was pretty small. Like not everybody had a DJ or like now high schools have DJs, right? Yeah. Every college has a DJ high school. So the DJ world was fairly small. I got hired for a couple one-off sporting events, like a rugby game, um, some international swimming events. But I did a rugby game. It was rugby sevens, which is very cool. If you've never seen a rugby sevens match, it's, it's fascinating. So, it's so fast too because there's not that many of them. Yeah. Uh, real at one point, like these two dudes, like literally slammed into each other, and I was like in the press box, like midway up the stadium, and I heard their faces hit. And their bodies immediately went limp. I thought they were dead. Like I literally was like, "Oh, those guys are dead." How could, they ran full <laughs> speed into each other and their faces smacked, and I could hear it. I was like, "They're dead." They weren't dead, and I'm sure they played later that game. But um, my God. So back to the being a professional stuff. So that rugby event was two days, and the first day was twelve hours. Mm. I was in a booth by myself. I didn't leave that booth for twelve hours. I didn't eat. I didn't go to the bathroom. I was I was just about to raise my hand and go, how the heck did you go pee? Didn't eat, didn't go to the bathroom. And it wasn't because they forgot about me. It was just the way the stuff, the way the tournament was set up is there was never a built-in break. It was always something was constantly happening. Music had to be ready at all times. And mm -hmm. I could have complained and bitched and been like, this sucks. And it did suck, but I was like, this is what needs to happen today. So I'm just, I just have to do it. And the lady who was the game producer of that, like the next day, she's like, when I got home, I realized that you didn't have a break. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's just, that's what I'm like. I'm sure you didn't really get one either, yeah. but like really like they can get off headset and do whatever. And they come back where like, if I can't walk away and all of a sudden, Oh, we need music. And no, there's no music there. So the next day she actually, she's like, tell me what buttons to hit when you need to go to the bathroom. He's like, we'll just, we'll figure it out. But she got the job as the game entertainment director for the Los Angeles Clippers mm. and, br and brought me in with her. Uh, and I have been doing gigs with her since then. And I think because of that day, like, I didn't complain about it. And I could have. And it was messed up that like no one thought about giving anybody a break. Yeah. But nobody was doing it to me on purpose. It wasn't like, screw that guy. Yeah. He can suck it up all day long. Like no one's, you know, like AVP events today when we have – 
you know, a rain delay and all of a sudden we're out there for 16 hours and I don't get a quote unquote actual break. There are other people that aren't getting breaks too. And no one's doing it to you on purpose. That's just, it's just live events and you got to do what you got to do. Um, but I'm pretty sure that she remembered that. So when she got uh, the gig, like, Hey, would you like to do this as well too? And I was like, yes, I would. So I was actually with the other Los Angeles team for oh. a few years. And then uh, when the Lakers, after Kobe retired, the Lakers are looking to make a change and I did not know this and I don't know all the details, but they reached out to me and I was like, yes, I, <laughs> yes. Um, that also, I was kind of burnt out on the NBA at this time and I'm going to get into the weeds on this a little bit. So I was actually ready to move on and that was going to be my last, I don't, whether the Clippers wanted me to come back or not the next year, I don't know, but it, I knew going into that season, it was going to be my last season. I was like, I need to do okay. something else. And when I was with the Clippers, I was music directing. So meaning I was doing like kind of all the in-game sounds and all that stuff, but I wasn't mm. DJing. We had DJ Dents who would like DJ for the players, DJ timeouts, but he also hosted. Um, so I was more of a music director role. So when the Lakers reached out, I was all like, yeah, you're the Lakers. I could, I could, uh, maybe I'm not as burnt out as I thought it was. I could, I could stay in the NBA. Um, but I asked them, I was like, do you want somebody to just hit buttons or like, I would prefer to actually DJ. Yeah. That's like, the oh, role no. and function. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh no, we have the person to do the in-game stuff. We want you to be the actual DJ and use actual DJ equipment and mix songs and, you know, bring a new musical vibe to the organization. And that just revitalized my love for DJing. NBA games and I will now be going into my seventh season with the Lakers and uh, I have an NBA championship ring with my I, name on it. I was going to say, I mean, I've seen, I haven't seen it in person. I've seen pictures and it's, but like, it's pretty surreal that, by the way. I, I mean, yeah. I, growing up in Virginia to now having a ring from one of the most famous organizations in the world it's still like it still hasn't sunk in to be honest. And I didn't put the ball in the basket one time. Not one time did I dunk or assist LeBron for a layup. I didn't do any of that. I just I played music and somehow I have an NBA championship ring and it's awesome. Yeah, and the cool thing is, and I, I don't want you to downplay, and I know you don't, but downplay what you actually do, right? Because again, this is I think this is one of those moments. This is a lesson for, you know, anybody that's in a support role, a support function. Like, I mean, again, I come from the coaching world, right? As an assistant coach, it doesn't matter if you're sports medicine. Like everybody, it, it sounds cliche, but in these large organizations, everybody plays an integral part. And it's, you know, if you're the DJ, right? That's, and you do that to the best of your ability. And I'm uh, sports medicine, right? I'm doing that to the best of my ability. And LeBron's doing that to the best of his ability. Like, that's when everything, that's when the good stuff happens. So like, Absolutely. I think that that's, I think that's really awesome. And I got to tip my cap to the Lakers for, and I get, I know all organizations do it, but like they do provide those for the support staff, because again, the integral nature of the business, I think it's, uh, that's huge. Yeah. And they, they didn't, they technically did not have to give me a ring. I am not a Lakers employee. I'm an independent contractor, even though, oh, gotcha. you know, so technically yeah. they did not have to give me a ring. Um, but they did, and I am. They very, chose to. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. They, yeah. Again, like, there's nothing in my contract that said you owe me anything other than 
the amount of money you decided to pay me per game. Like they don't owe me anything else. And they've been a great organization. And uh, I'm sure when my DJ career is over, I'll be able to reflect on a little bit more that I have an NBA championship ring, but uh, I mean, it's still pretty cool. Don't get me wrong, but I, I still don't think it's sunk in a few years later. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't uh, like I can only because it's not like you're rocking it every day either, right? Correct. Like, no, it's, I, it's, I'm definitely not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's too yeah, heavy. he will ask me if I DJ with him. Like, it's pretty heavy to DJ with it. Like, uh, no, that would actually force that would force yeah. everything to stop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now. I want to highlight because again, like Lakers, Clipper, you, you do all of these different things and you've mentioned that you do like, you do private, you'd like, and each environment's just a little bit different, right? Like how do you navigate like a private gig compared to being hyped for the Lakers to whatever else it is? Cause again, it's got to ebb and flow, right? Yeah. It's definitely like one event I'm wearing a suit for the other event I'm wearing a hoodie and a baseball hat. And, uh, I think all of that is my personality. Um, I'm not, I, I love sports. I like DJing clubs. I like DJing private events, but if I just did one of those all the time, I would get Mm -hmm. very bored. Um, and I think being able to do a corporate event for a bank and then being able to be a DJ in a club and be all hyped standing on the DJ booth or, DJing a sporting event where it's not about me at all whatsoever. It's about the fans and their experience. Um, I just think that's all kind of my, that fits into my personality very well. Like even though the extroverted part of like, Hey, look at me, I'm on stage. I'm the DJ. Like I hate every second of that, but sometimes you've got to get on the DJ booth with the microphone and take a selfie with the crowd, which is always fun to me. Cause I just ask them if they want to be on my Instagram and then they do. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a skill that not every DJ has. Like, there's yeah. some DJs that are like, they just DJ clubs and they're amazing at it. And then they're like, yeah, I don't want to do corporate things, right? Because it's not, it's not the same type of energy. Or, you know, sporting events sound cool until they realize what it actually takes to DJ a sporting event. It's not just you with the spotlight on you that gets to do like a five-minute routine and then the game happens, right? Like, you're doing all... You know, I have an instant replay machine. I have to be focused. I have to be paying attention the entire time. And I think growing up, I have I have siblings, but they're uh, all the oldest of my siblings is seven years younger than me. And my parents got divorced. I don't remember them even being together. So all of my siblings are from my dad and my stepmom. So we didn't grow up together. So I essentially grew up as an only child. And mm-hmm. so I was around a lot of adults. I was the first grandchild and my aunt and uncle didn't have kids until I was already older. So I was the first grandchild, but I was around adults all the time as a kid. And I think being around them and listening to their conversations and just kind of absorbing it all helped me be able to navigate all the different type of gigs I have now, right? Like I can talk to the CEO of a bank about music or about what they got going on at the bank. Uh Or if LeBron was to have a conversation with me, I can have a conversation with LeBron as well. Or Phil Dahlhauser, who, if anybody looked at my Instagram, is currently, we are currently not friends, but uh, we had a conversation about uh, what he needs to do to get our friendship back. And this is all in jest, but uh, (laughs) he knows there's some things he needs to do. But like, then I can go joke with Phil about he needs to get our friendship back on track because he lost me money 
he looked me in the eye and told me to take the bet and I took the bet and then he lost me money. Um, oh, Phil. Yeah, Phil. I mean, just, but he knows what he needs to do. Um, you know, so being able to navigate all of that stuff and then I think it's just having a respect. I have a respect for every client or every player where even if somebody's my really good friend at an event, I will say hi to them, but I may not spark the conversation because I don't know what their mindset needs to be for their match. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. if they, if they end up starting talking to me, cool, no problem. I'll have a conversation with you. If it's just a high as we pass, I'm not taking that personally and all whatsoever. Cause you're here doing your job. Mm-hmm. And if your job means you don't want to talk to anybody, then that's your job. Um, Casey Patterson might talk to me during a play where another player <laughs> will not acknowledge my presence because that's just where it is. So that's, that's just how you got to roll and not take any of it personally at all whatsoever. And again, it's, that speaks to the breadth of like kind of your comfortability and as it's grown right over the, in the different situations, different environments. I love what you said about kind of the, the upbringing and being around your family and absorbing that, right? Because I think that far too often we bypass a lot of the stuff that's happened to us in our past and you give it the kind of the, the nod or the respect, even if it's maybe not a, an environment that we, again, for me, you know, ups and downs from childhood and all that stuff. Like, we still learn and that's what shapes kind of where we're at and where we're going. So I, I love that you kind of called to that. Um, speaking of different environments, right? Like you're also like, and I love this about you and I don't know if many people know this, but like you're also not just a DJ, you do something else and you do it. And I'm going to tell you, you do it really well. And anybody that knows that you do it knows you do it well, but can we talk about your other are you referring to the suicide doors? I Steve, am, my to friend. My, I to am. My group? My... Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, I produce music as well. Uh, if you've heard this podcast, you've heard music that I have produced. Um, it is the most rewarding and most frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. I have. <laughs> Talk about that. that what, the, yeah. yeah, keep going. Keep going. I have zero. I played the drums growing up uh, so I can keep a beat but I don't know how to play the piano. I can't tell you if a song, what key the song is in. I can tell you if it sounds right. I can't tell you, I was like, oh, that's in A minor or B flat. Like I have no idea, but I can Mm -hmm. tell you if it sounds right together. And DJing for so long, I feel like I know what type of rhythm can get people to move, like vibes. I can, I feel like I can create a vibe. So Producing music is something like looking back on my life is something that I've always wanted to do. Even as a kid, um, I'd be listening to records and just not understanding how they created that sound. But I also didn't know how to ask the right questions to get in the right rooms of learning how to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody that was a music producer. Um, and then even when I worked at the record label, the music producers I was then introduced to were people that went in the studio with bands. Like they would you know, they would produce for you too, or they would produce for another singer songwriter. So they are either playing the guitar or they're kind of leading the band in the studio of like, Hey, try this sound, do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I knew that wasn't the kind of producer I could be cause I don't play instruments. Right. Um, but wanting to learn how to produce. So I think I, I just eventually started just asking the right questions and, and it started attracting the right people. And met somebody and he knew how to like operate the computer program that would help make music. 
Okay. It, just, it, it looks like an absolute spaceship and you first open it up, you're like, I don't even know what, I don't know what button to push. I don't know how to make any noise. How, how do I even turn this on? Yeah. And I'd gone into studios with other people just to sit there and watch like how they, like how they would record a guitar, how they would record vocals. Um, but I knew that's not the kind of producer I wanted to be, but I had been in studios. So I was like, okay, I see how it happens, but I still don't understand how it works. And uh, long story short, eventually like, I attracted the right people and just kind of learned by watching. I'm a very, that's how I learn mostly is by watching. And they kind of, it was like the DJ thing. They kind of showed me here are the basics and now mm-hmm. it's on you and you just start trying to create sounds that you think will work. And, um, I got connected with a DJ friend of mine who first started out doing gigs for my company and then every year we would put out like a mixtape and just do a DJ mixtape of us DJing and put it out. And then we both kind of started getting into producing, but separately. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, next year when we do a mixtape, let's do, let's put out a EP of like our own produced music. Oh. And we did, it was like a five or six song EP, but like we produced individually. Like I produced three songs, he produced three songs and we put it out. And I was like, well, that was dumb. Why don't we do it together? Mm-hmm. like what let's we're both learning at the same time like let's get in the studio and do it together like you learn a new skill then oh my gosh that helps me learn that skill and then maybe i've learned a new skill and i can bring to the table and our growth as producers will happen a lot faster if we do it together and uh yeah that's how uh the group the suicide doors formed and i wanted to produce under a different name than dj Rocher because the dj Rocher brand had been out there for so long yeah and DJ Rouché, I explain it like this. DJ Rouché has to play your request. The suicide doors are artists and you're not, it's like, you're not asking, you know, when U2 is performing on stage, you're not requesting songs like, Hey, play whatever, you know, like, so that's the suicide doors. We are an artist group and we do perform live, but not in the typical DJ sense. Got it. Now, there's a lot that I like. I want to understand because again, the music producing side it, it's very different. But the first thing that I I'm inclined to ask is why the suicide doors? Yeah, so uh, I've been fascinated with 1967 Lincoln Continental since I was a young kid. Just the way the the car looks cool, the way the doors open looks cool, and I was driving to Mammoth to go skiing. And it popped in my head. I was like, oh, that would be a cool name for the next mixtape. And then I was like, wait a second, that would be a cool name for a band. And I literally sat on it for a couple of years before the, my production duo got together. And then when we got together, I was like, hey, I have this name that I think would be cool. What do you think? And that was that's how it came about. The rest is history, they should they say. Yep. Now, so the '67 Lincoln Continental, like, did it have? Was it standard with Suicide Doors? Is yeah, that so, why? Okay. Yeah. So if you watch uh, the opening sequence to Entourage, the very end of the opening sequence to Entourage, yeah. they all get out of the car. That's the you see the doors open that way. Um, Got it. That's, that's a Lincoln Continental. Yep. Okay. Got it. Now I'm piecing it together. Yep. I dig that. That's really yeah. cool. Man. So like, so you, you hold on to this, right? And again, I, the, I know that it's hard when things pop into your head to sit and hold on to things. Did you like write it down in a book? Did you set it off to the side? Was it just something that it always stay? Like, how'd you hold I'm, sh- I'm sure I wrote it down, but it was stuck in my head. I was like, this is, 
because I I'm think using I, this. I kind of knew that I wanted to produce. I didn't know that it would turn into that name. Like I said, my first thought was like, oh, it'll be a cool name for a mixtape. And then when we started working on the latest mixtape, I was like, no, nah, it's it feels more than worthy than just like a one off, right? It's like, bigger than that. You do one yeah. mixtape and then it goes away, right? I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, that's gonna actually gonna be a cool name for a band. And even though the two of us are music producer DJs, like I still call us a band because that sets it apart from just DJing where in today's world though, people think the term producer and DJ are the same thing, even though they're two completely different jobs. Um, But it's kind of the same thing now. And I think where I want to be in my career and what I tell a lot of DJs coming up, like you could be the most skilled technical DJ in the world that's not necessarily going to put you on stage if like you want to perform at festivals. If performing at festivals is what you want to do, that might not be what gets you there. Now you'll, you'll see people like A-Track or DJ Jazzy Jeff, but those guys have 20 plus years of being the yeah. best turntables in the world. And even though A-Track produces music now, like, yeah, I would go see Jazzy Jeff at the festival because that's how dope of a DJ he is. But coming up now, like you have to produce music as a DJ to get, uh, bigger paychecks. How about that? To get bigger so the the mainstream artists that you hear, the, like though they're producers and they're doing all of that, and then in some cases they also do the DJing on the yes. like on the side or mix it like mix it in within, right? Yeah. So somebody like Diplo, he was a mm-hmm. DJ first and then became a producer. Where somebody like Calvin Harris, I believe I'm right with this, was a music producer first. And then when somebody's like, "Hey, we'll pay you two hundred thousand dollars to DJ," you quickly learn how to DJ. Yeah. Okay. And, but again, I, I want to strike out the fact that, like, again, as you said, they're not one in the same, right? They're two very yeah. different, two di- very different skills that are needed to be able to be successful at either at, at both. Yeah. Of them. DJing is pl- is playing other people's music. Obviously, you can play yours if you make it. Producing is creating the actual song itself. That's, and again, both. And again, both are fascinating to me. And again, the fact that you do both at a very high level, right, is it's a testament to who you are. And again, I'll say it, right, like the path that you're on, like it's where you're meant to be because you do both at a very high level. And you clearly, even just watching you talk about it, watching it, like it's something that brings you passion, brings you joy, and, you know, other people love it as well. And I appreciate that. And getting to, uh, play my own song and i'm very critical of my own stuff right like i think most people are yeah would be critical of like oh whether they were siding out well or where they you know played well in whatever sport but like even djing like music wise i'm like man well does my song stand up next to the drake song that i'm playing at the arena right now if the answer is no then i need to go back to the drawing board but when I've made music, I was like, oh, no, I can play this song after the Drake song and it still feels the same vibe in here. That is a very cool thing. Like I have gotten to play my own songs for crowds at Lakers games, at AVP events, at Olympics. Yeah. It, that is a very cool thing that I still don't think has sunk in fully that I got to do that. If I, I told my production partner, um, if we never make another song ever again. I can still say I played our own music during a DJ set at the Olympics, at a Lakers game, at an AVP event. And not everybody can say that. And like that, 
I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. I'm going to still keep going making music, but I'm, yeah. I couldn't be more appreciative of it. And because of that, I'm very open to artists that no one's ever heard of before sending me their music. And if I like it, I'm going to play it. I don't care if you're a known artist or not. Now, I back and back, not back. Here's, back, your, back. here's your disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Just because I like your song doesn't necessarily mean it fits into what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Like people have sent me slow R&B jams that are really good. But I can't play that at a sporting event. I just can't yeah. play it at a sporting event. Like it's just not going to work. And sometimes it's hard to explain to people that. Um, or I know your song is going to suck just by the way you approach me on social media. Like just your first sentence out of your mouth. I'm like, nope, your song is going to be terrible. I will still so listen what, to it. But- what could, what can somebody do to to avoid that? Because again, social media is huge, right? And again, if you're talking about building connections, what can somebody do to give themselves an advantage? Just like you do in any other conversation in life approach somebody the way you would want to be approached. It's pretty simple. Like if your message to me is what's up, bro. And like, that's the only message. I I don't know what to do with that. I know you, I know actually what you're reaching out to me for, but I don't have the time to teach you how to properly send me music. Cause some people Mm -hmm. send it to me in terrible formats or just send me the Spotify link. I can't play the Spotify link in my DJ set. Like, Mm -hmm. I will take the time to educate some people if they ask me the right way, be like, Hey, when you approach other DJs, here's how you should do it. And most of the time, those people are very thankful because who's, who would, how would you know how to do that? Yes. But your initial, I can't teach you how to say hello to somebody like a DM is not like, if you call me like, Hey man, how's it going? I'm like, Hey, how are you? That's not how you start a DM message, right? Mm -hmm. Like you need to tell me what you need from me if we don't know each other. Right. Yeah. So like, how would you want somebody to approach you is how you should approach that. Makes sense. And again, yeah. just, and again, I think that that stands true, whether you're approaching you to play music or a company to explore partnerships or you know anything, right? Hey, here I am. This is, you know, what I'm up to. And I wanted to da, 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 da. like, it, again, it's the common courtesy of just, if you're con- trying to connect dots, do it in a do it in a way that you want to be connected to. I love totally. It. And if you know if you need something from me, and I have no problem with that, you need to make it as easy for me to get to give you what you want. If mm-hmm. I'm now exchanging ten messages with you before I get to your song, you've wasted my time, and I don't have time to waste like that, right? So yeah. it. Uh, some things I feel are common sense. Other things I'm more than willing to happy to teach people that I've learned and give them the advice if they're open to it. I'm not just going to throw it out there at them. They have to be open to it because like anything, if you just start throwing advice out there, it doesn't mean they're going to listen to you. This is true. And again, I, what I what I heard again is, again, it depends on how it's approached in the first place. And again, it, what's up, bro, doesn't, uh, doesn't does, do it. Does nothing for me. I've always joked that I'm going to respond with, you know, life has been kind of tough. My wife and I are going through a hard time. We're hitting some financial stuff just to see what their response would be. You, uh, but just, here, just, just to see, just to find you know, out a social, I, social I, experiment. But I love that. Or I, what I maybe even challenge, not even that, like you don't even have to fabricate something. Just be like, yo, <laughs> been a long couple of days, da, 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 da. Like, man, I just got back from trip. I'm exhausted. And just leave it there. Because again, to your point, right? That's what they perhaps ask. perhaps somebody doesn't know what's going on, right, or doesn't know how to approach it, and maybe this is one of those social cues that it allows them to learn. Like that's that's fascinating. You yep. need to try that and let me know. <laughs> I also 
social experiment was uh, I want to go to people's cubicles while they're working and question every single thing they do, just like they do in the DJ booth. Uh, I would just be, that would be a very fun experiment for me to do. Oh, you're going to write that? You no, know? that's what you're going to say to your boss. That's what you think is a good idea right now. Yeah. That's uh, I would like to do that. Wait, why'd you write that and not sell on that spreadsheet? Exactly. Can, can, what? Oh man, you blew it. Really? <laughs> yep. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't, I don't picture you being in a, uh, uh, cubicle anytime soon and, which is a good thing. And I, I never want to go back to one. So nope. that's, that's why we're doing, that's why we're doing this. And that's why we're having these conversations. Exactly. Um, you know, dude, I like your journey has been, is so unique. And again, like I've, I've said this, I'm, I'm fortunate to have known you for many years now. It's been just about five years now. And again, I feel like it's been longer, but it, I, do, I do too. Actually, when you said it, five, I was like, is that it? Cause it's only yeah. been five years. It's crazy, right? But again, because it was Kansas City and that was the first, that was our, my first Final Four with, when I was with the brand. So yeah, we're like five years. And, but I, what I want to share is like, and I'd like to do this with people, but like a moment of gratitude because you and I were chatting a little bit before as we kind of prepped. And, you know, these journeys of life that we're on, they're each parallel paths, they go all these different places. But it's for me, good to know and good to have people in my corner like you that the friendship is there regardless of what's going on. And again, I saw something the other day that you can just pick up, you can throw a text. It doesn't matter if you don't talk for six months, six weeks, six days, whatever. And it's just like, it's easy and it goes. And so I wanted to kind of share a moment of gratitude with you because you're one of those people for me. And I don't, we don't tell people enough that they mean something to us. And so, I mean, why not a better place than a public forum and a, and a podcast that millions of manifest millions. millions of people are going to listen to. So like, I'm grateful for you, for your friendship. And you know, I, I just, I appreciate you, man. I really do. I appreciate that. And, uh, I think something people don't know, some people know about me, but my, my circle is pretty small in life. Um, but people that like I fully open up to or, say more than just like, oh, yeah, things are great. Um, and you're one of those people. And like I said, when you said it's only been five years, it definitely has felt much longer than five years. And uh, I'm happy that you started this podcast. Remember, we talked about it before. You're trying to figure out what your journey yeah. was. And it's like, sometimes you just, you just got to pull the trigger and start doing it. Whether you're doing it the way you think it's supposed to be done. Like I'm a big fan of, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you can still do it right. Right, like it's not going to be perfect mm. out the gate. It's never going to be perfect, right? Just, mm. but, but do it right, and you're doing it right. I, I appreciate that, and again, that like that lands with me because again, I'm I like many people. I'm my own, oh bleh, 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 rewind. Um, I'm my own worst critic, right? And again, it, I feel many of us feel like we need to do it perfect, and we got to get it out of the gate. And that's what I've learned with this, right? I'm into season two with this. I took a little bit of downtime, but like it continues to evolve and it goes back to even like the putting out our best and our best is going to evolve as we evolve too. So like, am I going to keep getting better? Yes. Am I going to, you know, try to get LeBron on here? Cause we've talked about him about a hundred times. Yeah. LeBron, any, anytime you want to come on in and just open answer invitation, LeBron, open invitation. Even if it's one question, let's yeah. just do it. I'm cool. But like, that's part of it, right? Like this is kind of the journey of life. So like, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, I've been able to lean into you. Like I mentioned at the beginning, you, you did the music for this, right? Like, and you and I had just chatted and you're like, yeah, yeah, I can throw something together. And 
everybody loves it. And so like, I'm grateful for that. And it's, and it's been a journey. It's been a journey of five years and it's just been a journey with this. And like, uh, to your point, I'm glad you're in my circle and part of my tribe too. Something that, uh, Dr. Gervais, who I know, you know, um, uh, yeah, I need to get a formal. Uh, Barnett's still holding out on me. He said he was going to connect me. Yeah, to say he was, he said he was going to connect me with Doctor Gervais, but I'm sitting, I'm Kevin. We're still waiting. They live Kevin, like I'm down, still waiting. They live like down the street from each other. So, um, but I was talking to him one time, and we were talking about music. I was starting to get into producing, and I'm like, man, it's not where. And I'm not going to get the exact quote correct, but it's always stuck with me every time I start to doubt something or like. Oh, is this track good enough? Or was this mix good enough or whatever? Like he reminded me that when Microsoft or Apple first came out, it was a black screen with green lettering, right? Like when they started, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And like, you look back at it now and be like, how did we even do computers back then? Right? So your first time out, isn't going to be a home run, right? Like my first song I ever produced I can't listen to it now because I'm so mm. far beyond that. Right. But it was as good as I was at that time. And that was okay. Like wherever you are right now, like I'm at the peak of my music and DJ career at this moment, but tomorrow I could be better, but not to be upset with today's level because I know I can be better. Like today I'm as good as I can be. But that doesn't mean I can't be better tomorrow, but also not to be upset with today, right? And you use that example of, yeah, it was a black screen with green lettering. And now you and I are talking via Wi-Fi yeah. with Bluetooth headphones for me doing a podcast, right? Like that's that's just where we are and things are, you know, I listened to some of my first mixtapes. I'm like, oh, I was terrible as DJing, right? And then in 10 more years, I'm going to listen to a mixtape I do tomorrow and be like, oh, you were terrible at DJing, right? Like but I'm fine with where I am right now, but that doesn't mean I'm not trying to progress to get better. 100%. And that's, that, that ties to the growth mindset you talked about. And then also one thing that I love to add is every given day is different too, right? So like your best tomorrow may not be your best compared to today. You might be at a four out of five because you slept terrible and this and that, right? So like those are, there are all those factors, right? So all we can do is try to optimize and do our best, but our best just like an aura ring chart or whatever, like whatever you're paying attention to, it's going to fluctuate and that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, as we close, like first off, and I, I shared this with you, the movie PCU, I absolutely love. And they, they talk about like, there's a line in it. Don't wear the t-shirt of the band that you're going to see, but I had to rock my DJ Rouché hat. And I, I see that you're sporting a new lid. Um, dude, when are, when are they going to be available? Well, uh, hopefully this week, the lid that you have on has, well, is beat the, to hell, by the what way. Is the, what is the uh, supply chain issues? Is that, yeah. the, is that the term? Uh, I've been trying to get hats for like three years. And oh. this one I have on right now isn't even available yet. I have uh, Lakers colors, black hat with the uh, purple and gold. Uh, they should be available later this week. It is a, and it's a very, very limited run. Um, yeah. Some fingers crossed open, they sell out quick, but more will be on the way hopefully within a couple months. Um, but I grabbed like the 10 or 12 that I could now just like, yes, get those and we'll figure it out along the way. Um, so hopefully later this week, 
they will be available on my website at djrouchet.com. Yep. And um, if you'd like to support, that would be great, but don't feel obligated. Um, this hat will be available. The black hat that you have on, but with purple and gold will be yep. available. And pretty soon that hat, which is the original, the, the original OG, uh, OG logo uh, will hopefully be available in the next few months as well too. I dig it. So I'll link that, you know, and we'll link it on Instagram and all that stuff. And then again, that kind of ties in. Where can people find you, follow you and do all that stuff? Yeah. All of my social media, my website's all DJ Ruscha, uh Instagram, all that stuff is DJ Ruscha. And uh, I know my last name is difficult to spell. There's two E's in it and uh, it's R-O-U-E-C-H-E. Why are the three vowels in the middle? I don't know. I have no idea. It's all good. I mean, my last French. name is my last name is missing a vowel. You know, yes. then like so. It's we make there's no sense made there. Um, okay, so we we figure out where we're going to follow you. We're going where we're going to do all that stuff. We already gave the open invitation to LeBron and any yeah. other Lakers that want to come along. Um, but no, like, dude, this is like this has been an absolute joy. And again, it's it's the pick back up, and this is the longest one that I've recorded to date. And it, I still feel like we probably could keep going, but. You know, we'll do it, a part two in season three. How about that? Ooh, let's do that. And maybe we can find a way to do, I don't know. Maybe we can try and do a face to face at some point. I mean, again, I'm that not would. that far. I'm not that far from LA anymore. Well, I'm going to see you in a few months. So, or a couple, may, a month, maybe. Ooh, it may be. Yeah. Jeremy's going to be coming out here for AVP stuff out to Phoenix. Uh, they're doing the Phoenix open. So excited about that. But um, yeah, I know you've listened to the podcast and I always love to finish with one question and it's simple yet you know, says a lot about you. And I, I want you to tell your, tell our listeners who is Jeremy Roucher. Oh man, my wife would probably be better answering that question. Um, I, man, I should have I actually wasn't prepared for this question. And I've listened to your podcast and I knew that it was coming, but I totally forgot about it, to be honest with you. What's your head and heart say? Uh, my heart says that I am a person that wants to make other people happy and whether that is with music or having a conversation like, and I'm at an age now where I'm happy to pass on any wisdom that I've learned, especially in my career. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I've chosen a career where I can do things that put smile on people's faces or just get them bobbing their head for a second without them even realizing it. Um, so I think I am a person that enjoys seeing other people smile and having a good time. I think, uh, I think I'm that guy. Um, and with that being said, I will hold a grudge if you cross me, but, uh, I might forgive you, but I will hold a grudge. I will, I will not forget. Yes. Yeah. Phil, uh, yeah, I'm going to send this clip to Phil and, uh, I've got one thirty six forty one. I'm writing it down. Perfect. If Phil knows what he needs to do, I'm letting all the fans know right now. Phil knows what he needs to do, and if he actually does it, it is going to be glorious. I'm just gonna let you know right now. It's going to be glorious. I'm not even gonna give a hint at what it is because it'll be a moment that nobody was expecting, and it is going to be amazing. Oh, this is being clipped out. I love it, Phil. We're coming for you. I love it, um, Jeremy. Man, I like. I can't. Thank you enough for taking time. Again, you just got back and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, grateful for our conversation. One thing that I will do for whenever you're coming back up here to Phoenix, I know I've spent, we've done breakfast burritos out in California at a brother's. I know I won't be able to find something quite as good, but I'll make sure that I find us some breakfast burritos for us to have awesome. some conversation over. Love it. So, Can't wait. 
All right, brother. Well, I will talk with you soon. We'll uh, catch up in a couple couple months, but uh, man, I appreciate you. Sounds good. Talk soon. Thanks, dude. Jeremy's a prime example of how you can be the writer of your own story. I love that once he found his passion in life, he did everything in his power to keep chasing that passion and bring his dreams to life. Thank you, Jeremy, for sharing your story with me and with the world. It's one that I believe will land with so many people as they continue to chase their passions and their dreams. What were your takeaways? What were you left with? Let me know over on my Instagram at Steve Venzel, S-T-E-V-E-V-E-N-C-L on the post for this episode. Additionally, please share this with someone who may benefit from hearing these words. That's what it's about, sharing people's stories and understanding how to keep moving forward. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And until next time, keep moving forward, even if it is just one small step at a time.